at the moment we have over a million people that are at least on paper uh, qualified as uh, self-employed. Uh, and if we look at, at other European countries, that's, uh, that's huge. Welcome to Loyans and Loof Now. In this podcast series, we explore the legal and tax consequences of major trends and current events. What's happening? Why should I care? And how does it affect my business? Today, we're taking a closer look at the workforce of people working for digital economy platforms, such as Uber and Just Eat Takeaway. There's been a lot of talk and legal cases about the qualification of these workers' employment situation, and the outcome has serious impact on both the legal and the tax side of things. We'll be discussing this with Ralph Ruja, who's a senior associate tax advisor with the Employment Taxes and Employment Law Practice Group, and Yusuf Alhachawi, who's a senior associate and legal counsel within the same practice group. Ralph and Yusuf, welcome. Thank you, uh, Janet, and uh, thank you for having us. Indeed, thank you. All right, Ralph and Yusuf, let's have a listen to what all the fuss is about. The Supreme Court has ruled that a group of Uber drivers must be treated as workers rather than self-employed, a decision which means they could be entitled to a minimum wage and holiday pay. Connor, just to be clear, you're talking about people who work for platforms like Uber and Deliveroo. So we're saying that for firms in that position who use self-employed labour, they should be guaranteeing that you know, the people that they're giving this work to are getting at least the minimum wage. Two former executives for Deliveroo have been given suspended sentences in France. A court ruled that they abused the freelance status of riders working for the UK takeaway delivery platform. So, we've all heard about people working at digital platform economies who are taking on their employers, sometimes via trade unions, regarding their employment status. So, Yusuf, what's going on exactly? Yeah, indeed, as you rightly mentioned, it at times it's uh, it's individuals that take on their employer as they uh, argue uh, but at times also uh, via trade unions and what it's about it's a discussion about whether uh, the people working for these uh, digital platforms are uh, independent workers as set out on paper or actually uh, employees uh, in short if they are uh, self-employed persons um, this would mean that they do not uh, have uh, all the employee benefits and protection, but more freedom. However, if they would qualify as employees, that would mean that they fall within uh, all well rights and obligations that follow from uh, the Dutch law, including dismissal law. So that means that the tax consequences for each of them are different. Is that right? Yeah, also the tax consequences, but also the civil law uh, consequences because an employee has a certain protection under Dutch employment law, which, which is quite extensive also compared to other uh, European countries. Uh, and if you are a self-employed individual, all those special uh, rights under the Dutch employment law do not apply. So it's both from a civil law and a tax law perspective, uh, well, of, of the essence, um, whether you qualify as an employee or as a self-employed individual. And on the tax consequences, uh, Ralph will, will tell us more, of course. So 
there are legal implications, there are tax implications there for companies and for those who are working for them. But what's the bigger picture, Yusuf? Yeah, indeed, there is a bigger picture. Of course, we have the the company and the individual uh, themselves as involved parties, uh, but it's actually a broader discussion in the Netherlands because uh, at the moment we have over a million people that are at least on paper uh, qualified as uh, self-employed. And if we look at at other European countries, that's uh, that's huge. Uh, And the question is uh, whether indeed... Uh, all those individuals qualify uh, as self-employed individuals or whether actually, if we look at, uh, at the facts and the circumstances, uh, a, a large part thereof are, are actually employees. Um, and that qualification, um, well, as I said, does not only have implications for the individual and, and the company, uh, but uh, also uh, if we look at it more in, in a more broad sense, Uh, for example, on how many social premiums are paid, because social premiums are paid by employees, and and thus how the uh, entire system of solidarity works in the Netherlands. Other potential involved parties are, for example, pension funds that rely on the payment of pension premiums, which also eh, depends on whether or not an individual qualifies as an employee. So it's, I think, a discussion that has a far more reaching impact than solely the uh, individual and the uh, company. So who are these about million people then that we're talking about? Well, on paper, self-employed individuals, uh, but uh, there is uh, the expectation is that you, if you would look at the criteria that apply to an employment agreement, that you could, would question whether that indeed all those 1.1 million Uh, self-employed individuals indeed qualify as self-employed individuals or whether a large part thereof actually, if we look at the criteria of an employment agreement, qualify as an employee. About a million people don't work for digital platforms? No, no. So this, indeed, so this doesn't, the one million people are not linked entirely to digital uh, platforms. So, So it's a much larger discussion, but the, the, the digital platforms provide for an well, extra dimension because uh, the qualification uh, discussion is already a difficult discussion in the classic form of uh, an employee or employer relationship. Uh, but because of the digital platforms add an extra dimension in the sense that it works from a distance with an app and monitoring, which makes the assessment of whether uh, an employment agreement applies or a services agreement applies even more difficult. Um, So looking at the detail of these digital platforms and their relationships with the people they employ in some way, what are the specifics that the courts are looking at to make decisions about whether they are employees or not. Yeah, so, so Dutch employment law provides uh, for the criteria uh, that are required in order for a contract eh, or a working relationship to be an employment relationship in the sense that an employment agreement exists. And those courts will assess whether um, wage is paid, so whether salary is paid, uh, whether labor is performed, um, and whether there is a sense of authority. So if those three criteria are met, you have an employment agreement by operation of law. So that's not something that 
the individual and the company could, uh, well, decide otherwise uh, on. It's something that follows from, from the law, even if you uh, write something else on paper. And for that uh, assessment, the courts uh, apply a so-called holistic assessment, which uh, basically means that you look at all circumstances of the case and the actual way in which, well, the activities are performed are decisive and not what has been written down uh, on paper by the parties. So, so the intention of the parties is not decisive. And that has also been recently confirmed in 2020 by the Supreme Court. So things that uh, are, for example, um, well, uh, checked by the courts is whether the individual receives typical employee benefits, for example, holiday allowance, uh, holidays, whether uh, continuation of of salary applies during uh, sickness, uh, the level of freedom the individual has in performing uh, his activities, whether the, the relevant individual also has other companies he performs work uh, for or not, all those kind of, all those circumstances together should result um, in, uh, uh, well, the assessment whether or not a, le- uh, a level of authority is, is likely. And if in addition to that, salary is paid and labor is performed, uh, that would uh, result in the conclusion that an employment agreement uh, exists, again, irrespective of what parties intended. And can I just interrupt? I want to bring uh, Ralph in here on uh, the tax implications of this then. How, again, you know, what does it mean tax-wise when somebody is an employee or self-employed? Yes, indeed. Um, there is a difference between a normal employee who earns uh, a salary, he pays his uh, wage tax and social security premiums, but uh, when you are working as a self-employed person, you only uh, charge VAT and uh, wage tax or income tax is paid by yourself. Besides that, it gives you a more advantage that you pay less taxes and social security premiums in um, respect to a normal employee. So it's a benefit for the self-employed person to work this way. And on the other hand, the one who contracts you pays less money for your services. So there's been a lot of talk recently. Um, There's been a case, uh, Uber's had a ruling against it, which I believe they're now appealing. Can you just run through that for us, Yusuf? Yeah, of course. I think Uber is a good example in which you see uh, the assessment of the three criteria uh, that that, uh, make it whether or not a certain relationship qualifies as an employment relationship or not. Um, are assessed within the context of a digital platform. Um, so, so the courts looked at the uh, criteria, so salary, labor, and authority, whether or not these were met. Um, and the courts actually quite easily reached the, the conclusion that labor and, and, and salary are the case uh, because the transportation of passengers qualifies as labor. And in return, Uber pays salary to uh, the Uber driver. So the third criteria is authority. And if that would be met, that would mean that uh, irrespective of the intention of the parties, uh, an employment agreement would be the case. Uh, And ultimately, the courts reached the conclusion that indeed also a level of of authority was uh, the case. Uh, And 
To that end, uh, for example, the fact that the Uber driver needs to accept the terms and conditions of the Uber app was deemed relevant, but also the fact uh, that a certain algorithm provides for the route to be followed by the Uber driver and the price of the ride, but also, uh, for example, the fact that drivers are rated uh, on the basis of the Uber app and that declining uh, rides is not without consequences. All those things put together, well, provides for a certain level of authority and that uh, resulted in an employment relationship uh, with all types of consequences, both from a employment law perspective and from a tax perspective. Over to you, Ralph, the uh, tax uh, implications from something like this uh, Uber ruling, uh, if they lose the appeal? Yeah, well, if they lose, if Uber loses uh, the appeal, that will uh, result into a huge claim. I'm, I'm afraid because then the payment that is made to the Uber drivers all over the last five years will be considered to be uh, a salary payment, and therefore wage tax and social security premiums are due. So, uh, enormous tax assessment will take place then if the tax authorities will follow the verdict of the civil court and um, also a penalty of uh, 25% will be, can be expected. Uh, so this will have uh, enormous uh, consequences for Uber. And beyond the Netherlands, I mean, are there other places where they have uh, taken a different approach to this relationship between a digital platform like Uber and employees? Yeah, indeed. Eh? Uber is, of course, also active in, in, in other countries. And, and the Netherlands is not the only country in which court proceedings are uh, pending. Uh, for example, uh, in, in France, uh, the result of the court proceedings was also uh, that the uh, relationship qualifies as an employment relationship. Uh, but for example, in New Zealand, uh, that was not uh, the case. Eh? So we see uh, different outcomes. Uh, and in the UK, um, uh, the relevant Uber driver was qualified as a so-called worker, uh, which is a category uh, that we don't know in the Netherlands. So in the Netherlands, you are either an employee or a self-employed individual. But in the UK, they have a third category, the so-called worker, which isn't an employee, but also not a self-employed uh, individual. Uh, the idea is that the worker has certain basic uh, rights that the employee also has. Uh, for example, the right to a minimum uh, wage. And what are the tax implications of those kinds of variety of rulings, Ralph? Yeah, well, in my opinion, it is impossible to... Um, forbid uh, working as a self-employed. And uh, I think that uh, the, the category worker might be a solution, um, but from a tax perspective, there is an, uh, uh, an objection to the fact that the gross net uh, outcome uh, deviates that much uh, uh, compared to a situation of a normal employee. So um, the government is already trying to make the difference between the gross net outcome less uh, attractive for self-employed persons to in comparing uh, with the uh, employees. So it might be a solution for the Dutch government to to find a solution. Okay, that's one yeah. example, the uh, Uber example, but maybe you have some other examples of places where these digital platform economy companies 
have a different kind of system in place that is working and has been accepted and it's working relatively well for both employers and workers. And self-employed, yes. So, for example, Temper uh, is a company that is uh, acting as a broker for uh, personnel working in uh, the hospitality uh, branch. And they uh, managed to have a, a ruling with the tax authorities uh, in the way they work and operate between uh, uh, the self-employed persons and the contracting uh, companies. And uh, as long as you have an agreement with the tax authorities, then uh, from the tax perspective, there is no uh, danger that uh, a tax assessment will take place after uh, after years because we, we have an agreement. But of course, uh, every party will have to stick to the agreement. And uh, uh, that's a condition that has to be met. But so far, we uh, we noticed that the um, yeah that the tax authorities ag- agree with the the way it, uh, temper it has it managed. And you started off, Yusuf, by saying uh, that there's a very high number of self-employed workers in the Netherlands in comparison with the rest of Europe. But let's compare ourselves maybe to some other parts of uh, of Europe um, how do we we stand on these digital economy platforms Netherlands versus the rest of Europe yeah so the Netherlands is of course not the only country that experiences an increase in in, in di- digital platforms uh, it's something that we see across uh, the whole of Europe uh, in the EU alone more than 500 digital platforms are active um, with more than 28 million uh, platform workers. So you could imagine that, uh, well, um, also on a European level, it might be helpful to have some kind of framework uh, standard um, uh, about, well, working conditions and and the rights of of, of platform workers. Is there? Well, there is at least a proposal uh, pending. uh, And the idea is that, uh, well, those those, uh, proposals would result in a directive providing for those basic uh, rights. Uh, and what's interesting is that, um, uh, well, first of all, in that directive, a definition of a digital platform uh, will be provided, but also that the directive provides for five circumstances. And if two out of those five circumstances apply to a certain working relationship between a, a platform and the worker, then an employment agreement is assumed uh, to exist. And it's possible for both the platform and the individual to, well, start proceedings uh, arguing the opposite. But at least that assumption will be the uh, starting point. And the expectation at the moment is that the implementation of the directive, which the member states will have a time frame of two years for uh, once the directive is uh, accepted, is that between 1.7 to 4.1 million now on paper uh, self-employed individuals will be requalified uh, to employees. So that's quite a substantial number out of the 28 million that I mentioned uh, before. Yeah, it's quite dramatic. Um, when I think about the people who are working uh, in this self-employed way, I'm thinking about taxi drivers, delivery personnel, restaurant employees, but also it applies to higher management as well. Is that correct, Ralph? There are lots of CEOs, other top-level managers who don't have an employment contract, but an actual, what's it called, a so-called management contract. They don't think of themselves as employed. Can you explain a bit? 
Yes, that's that's correct. And um, the problem is that in the news, you always read something about the taxi drivers or the meal delivery people, but uh, there are managers who work on a management agreement and they're not the same as a meal delivery boy. <laughs> so these people are capable to make their own conditions on what conditions they work and provide their services on management level. In, in general, they operate with their personal company, BV or Limited, and uh, they charge with invoices and VAT. So it's completely different than um, somebody who is uh, working as a meal delivery worker. And this uh, management group, they don't need protection from the labor law. They can find their own uh, work and put down uh, their own uh, conditions. And they prefer also to work in this way because they choose their work and so they're operating completely independent. The cases that we've been speaking about, will they apply to these people, to, to these kind of top level people as well? I can see Yusuf nodding. <laughs> yeah, well, so the criteria are the same, yeah. uh, okay. irrespective of the type of employee. So again, if, if you would end up in a court proceeding, the same criteria would apply. So the, is there a form of salary? Is labor performed? And is there a level of authority? The difference might be that a level of authority might be less, um, well, apparent eh, in the event of, of, of a manager. Uh, compared to uh, a delivery employee or an Uber uh, employee. Uh, but you would have to make the same assessment. And also for managers or, di uh, or directors, it's not the case that they can decide uh, themselves uh, whether or not they qualify as an employee or as a self-employed individual. So we're coming to the end of the podcast and we've covered a lot of ground already. Um, but... Can you help me by putting yourself into the shoes? You're the manager or you're the legal counsel at a company who's looking at how to contract people to work. What are the three things that they should take away from this podcast when they're considering this? Maybe we'll take one from each of you and then see if somebody's got a third one. Let's start for, with you. Yeah, so, so I think uh, the key takeaway is that, uh, well, accurate qualification, uh, whether an individual is a self-employed uh, individual or an employee remains a challenge uh, because there are no hard and fast rules. Um, and, and, and the fact that the intention of the parties is, is, is not decisive. Um, so yeah, it's part of the risk. It's important that part of the risk can be avoided by making, um, well, an assessment upfront uh, of the potential risks uh, at the time of entering into the agreement. And in any case, avoid typical arrangements that are typical for an employment relationship if you are uh, envisaging a, a services uh, relationship. So to a certain extent, it is possible uh, to avoid um, uh, risks, uh, but that does imply that you have to do that uh, at, upfront at the moment of entering into the uh, agreement. I think you managed to slip quite a lot into your answer there. <laughs> well, I'm a lawyer, so... <laughs> Ralph, what would you say? Yeah, what I would say is that that uh, take care that you won't stick too long for uh, for one uh, company to, to provide the services. Different contracts with different companies. Um, 
as Yusuf said, try to avoid uh, uh, conditions in your contract that look similar to an employment contract. And um, yeah, beware that um, that that in in the situation you are performing your work, behave yourself as a self-employed person, and and uh, let not uh, dictate uh, uh, the, the 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 party who is contracting you how to do your work. And well, it, it yeah. is it's very simple in a way, but um, yeah, if if you if you uh, think about what what uh, the the yeah the purpose could be then you can adapt your way of working uh, and and avoid tax claims yeah i think that's an important point that that ralph makes ultimately it will be decisive how the activities are performed in practice and not what parties have written down so so it's of the essence that uh, how the activities are performed in practice corresponds with, uh, well, the arrangements uh, on paper, because that's what the courts will look at as part of their assessment. Yusuf and Ralph, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your insights on the qualification of workers for digital platform economy companies. That's it for this edition. Thank you for listening to Loyans and Loof Now. You can find this episode and all other episodes at wherever you get your podcasts. Please view the show notes for a direct link to the Digital Economy page at the Loyans & Loof website to get even more in-depth knowledge about the legal and tax implications of employment contracts or to get in touch with Ralph and Yusuf. Bye!